Welcome to Be The Best You. I'm your host, Luke Briggs. When you deal with adversity in life, you have two options. Let that adversity define your life or move forward. Sam Bakhtiar had seemingly everything working against him as a child. He was born in Iran, a third world country that was constantly getting bombed and experiencing airstrikes during its war against Iraq, and he didn't have a father in his life. Sam and his mother escaped from the war-torn country and moved to the United States when he was 11 years old with just $500 and one piece of luggage. When he came to America, he was placed into a low-income town in Pennsylvania filled with drugs, prostitution, and gun violence. And at school, Sam was constantly bullied and called names because he was a different nationality and skin color than everyone else. However, he's thankful he went through these experiences because they've molded him into the man he is today. Sam now has an amazing family, lives in a multi-million dollar home, has lots of nice cars, is the CEO of a nine-figure company, and owns multiple successful businesses. If you've ever wondered how to deal with adversity in your life, Sam walks through his mindset and approach that helped him escape the challenges to become the success he is today. I really enjoyed this interview with Sam because he's an amazing human being always looking to add value to the lives of others. If you get any value out of this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would share this episode, email the link to a friend, take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram story, share it on Facebook or any way you can. I would also love if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review to help the show grow and reach more people. So enjoy this episode with the one and only Sam Bakhtiar. All right, we are here on Be The Best You, and I'm here with a man who has overcome some major obstacles in his life to become the success he is today. Sam Bakhtiar is now a nine-figure CEO. He owns the Camp Transformation Center, which has over 100 locations nationwide and two nutrition and supplement companies. He's also a highly sought after speaker and hosts the One Percenter podcast and YouTube show. Sam lives in a multi-million dollar home with his wife and two daughters now and has a garage full of nice cars he only once dreamed of having, but it hasn't always been that way for Sam. With $500 and one piece of luggage, 11-year-old Sam and his mother came over to the United States from Iran to escape the constant bombings and airstrikes. But even once he came over to America, he lived in the projects and survived on food stamps. Despite seemingly everything working against him, Sam found solace in the weight room. He built himself up from a skinny and awkward kid to a champion bodybuilder with 23 major bodybuilding titles, including Mr. Pittsburgh, Mr. Orange County, Mr. California, the Emerald Cup, and the Tournament of Champions, to name a few. Sam has overcome so many challenges in his life, even going from running a multi-million dollar business to losing it all and then gaining it back again and then some. He's got such a great story and so many valuable lessons to share with you all today. Sam, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, bro. Absolutely. So, you know, just with everything you've gone through in your life, Sam, what does it mean to be where you are today? It's surreal, man. It's absolutely surreal. You know, I feel like I'm living in a dream. You know, you know, you know, you always wanted the life. You always imagine what your life, you know, that you wanted. And, uh, but when it's here, you're like, wow, really? This is me. I can't believe I finally got everything that I wanted in life. And uh, it's just 
honor and pleasure to be able to do it in this country, you know, that give me the opportunity to do it. Obviously, no matter what I've done in my former country, you know, this kind of stuff wouldn't be able to be possible. So all praise to God and all praise to America, the United States of America, for providing me the opportunity to, to be able to, you know, be at my best. Love it. And, you know, again, you're always so, so, you know, humble and, you know, you've achieved a lot, but you really give all the grace to, to everyone else who's helped you through this. And I want to get into your story and background, Sam, but, you know, first off, <laughs> you know, let's not sugarcoat it right now. You know, it's March, 2020. The, the coronavirus pandemic is spreading across the country. We're in an unprecedented time. Tons of businesses have been forced to close down temporarily in order to reduce the rate of people getting infected. And I watched your Instagram video um, earlier today. You talked about the subject earlier. I know I have an interesting perspective coming from the beginnings you have. And obviously, you're a business owner right now who has over 100 franchisees. So how are you handling what's going on right now? Well, well, it's it's tough, man. You know, it's it's tough. You know, it's never easy. You know, and um, you know, it's it's sad. You know that the most the toughest part for me is seeing things being blown out of proportion. You know, coronavirus is a real threat. You know, I I mean, I respect that. I respect you know the threat that it possesses. You know, what I don't respect is people panicking. What I don't respect is people going to grocery stores and fighting over each other, stabbing each other for toilet paper, water, and things like that. There is no shortage in this country. You know, I lived in a third world country which was at war for eight years. I know what real shortage is like. I know what's like not having water. I know what's like like having bread. I know what's like to be surviving. When we have people here, you know, that are so spoiled, so scarcity minded. Oh my God, you know, so they can't have bottled water. You know, are you kidding me? There is sink. You know, drink out of a sink. I mean, you know, you know, you can drink out of a pool. There's, you know, I mean, there's so many things to do, you know, and so that's the sad part about it. You know, I know at the end, uh, we'll come out stronger, you know, out of this and then it's better. But most importantly for us to understand and count our blessings, we live in the greatest country in the world. You know, there's so much supply here. There's so much surplus of stuff here. And I guarantee you, all the stuff that people bought from the grocery store, most of it will go to waste. Most of it will go to waste. Most of it will, will, will expire. Most of them, you know, they have to throw out or, or most of them are stuff that they'll never use anyway. Yeah, that, that's so true. You're right that a lot of this is just material things that in the grand scheme of things aren't going to really matter, but it's more about keeping the perspective. Like you said, you have a different perspective of where you come from. It's, it's about keeping the perspective that, okay, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're still in a, in a great country and we're still in a pretty good place. Yeah, I mean, I went to the, you know, um, I drove by the grocery store and right next to the grocery store is an is, is a outdoor gun, gun store. And the gun store was almost as busy as their grocery store because people are like, you know, getting guns because they're afraid what other people will do in times of need and scarcity. Oh, really? And, and, and it's, just, it's just so sad to see. You know, we live in America. And all of a sudden, you know, there is one little crisis and people are just going to buy guns and be ready in case, you know, people want to come and rob their food or toilet paper or whatever it is. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely nuts. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely a crazy time, but, you know, important to keep that, that perspective. And, you know, speaking of perspective, I do want to get into your background right now. Um, so we brought it up a little bit already. So you grew up in Iran. I know it was challenging for you and you had a, a father who wasn't really in the picture. So 
Just take me back. What were things like for you living in Iran? Well, I was a little kid. I didn't know any better. When, you, when you're born into, you know, mediocrity or poverty, whatever you want to call it, that's your world. You don't know any better. I wasn't exposed to, you know, you know, mansions and, you know, you know, crazy things, you know, so I knew what I knew. So growing up, you know, not having a dad didn't really bother me till later. So I went to, I came to America, I went to people, people's homes around Christmas and everybody's dad was there and I wasn't there. You know, um, bombing didn't, you know, really hurt me because I thought, well, okay, that's what everyone does. You know, that you're born into it, right. you know, um, you know uh, but what it made me is to make me, I'm glad that I was born into a third world country. I'm glad that I was, you know, getting bombed on. I'm glad I went through that kind of adversity because when I came to the land of the free and the land of opportunity, I saw every opportunity. I was willing to, you know, uh, monetize every opportunity. Like I said before earlier, you know, no matter how hard I worked, I was limited in my own country. And you're limited in most countries. You came to America, with a fresh eye and an eye to see opportunity which never existed before, then you're going to capitalize. And that's why a lot of immigrants come in here and they do so well because their eyes are open and they see opportunities where people who are born here, you know, they're so spoiled they don't even see those opportunities. Normal to them. I love what you just said there. I've heard you call it kind of like the immigrant edge before. Like you, yeah. you come from those tough beginnings and now um, you, you said like you're thankful uh, that you went through all those, op- those things that happened that a lot of people would look at and say like, oh, well, you know, it's okay, Sam, if you never end up successful because, you know, you had everything against you. And I think a lot of people spend so much time thinking about their past and they just think like there's no way I could ever turn it around. Like what do you say to those people? You really have two choices. You know, look, um, eventually shit happens, right? Eventually everybody goes through some adversity. But I hope, I, mean, I pray they do. I, I, I pray everyone goes through hardship. I pray everyone goes through adversity. I don't pray somebody just have an easy life because you don't learn anything. You don't become resilient. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't become anything or anybody. So I hope at some time, you know, you know, all of us go through some serious hardship, you know, you know, serious adversity. But adversity is what was is what's going to make you. You know, you have two choices. When adversity comes, you know, be like, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. You know, because of adversity, because of this, because of that circumstance, because of this, because I wasn't able to do X, Y, and Z. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to become better. And I'm going to apply forward. In life, you really have two choices: either coward and bitch and complain and 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 not go anywhere, or fight back and and win. Mm. Love it. You hope everyone goes through adversity so that they experience that, so they know what they need, so they are able to at that point make one choice, and that choice is either to to go backwards and to let that be your reason for why you're not successful, or choose to move forward. I mean, you see it all the time, right? You know, you see it daily. You see people, two, two different types of people. You know, a person where they went through a bunch of crap and they came out on top. And the person that went through a couple of things and they just quit. And then they, they blame the past and they blame the past. Oh, because of this, because of that, because of this. Oh, I could have, should have, would have been this if it wasn't because of this. You don't want to be a could have, should have, would have kind of person. Absolutely. So taking it back to your story, so you eventually moved to the United States. So talk to me a little bit about what led you 
and your mom to moving to the United States, where you moved, and what things were like when you were first in America. Man, you know, when I was coming to America, I did some research, and the research was TV, American TV. So I thought I was coming to Beverly Hills because that's what I saw. Everybody had, you know, mansions and Bentleys and, you know, all this money and everything. But, you know, back then they didn't show the ghetto. They didn't show the worst neighborhoods. So when we moved, we, we went, we literally moved to the worst ghetto ever. You know, like, you know, it was a little town called Sharon Farrell, Pennsylvania. And my uncle, which came to university here, that was the only relative we had. We came in the middle of that. And he had a convenience store in the worst neighborhood that I've seen to this date. Mm. Where there were abandoned buildings, drug dealers, pimps, prostitutes. You know, there was uh, people getting shot outside the store. You know, there were signs on the street that says no loitering or you get arrested. You know, um, so that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a shock to me. You know, coming to America when I was 11 years old, you know, um, barely speaking the language, you know, not having any friends, not, not knowing anything. Now coming out to the worst neighborhood, it was, it was ridiculous. Wow. Well, right. Like from what you came to, to coming to the United States and thinking that you're going to have this glamorous lifestyle, like it really wasn't that. And, and obviously you went through and dealt through a lot. So, you know, I know that you mentioned like when you first started school, you felt a little out of place. Like take me through like, what was the transition like for you coming here and like starting school? Imagine going to the uh, at school in a third world country. First of all, how, how different that school is. Then also remember you haven't, you, you've been around everyone that speaks your language, you know, and all of a sudden you come and everyone, your own color. Now you're coming and your own culture, your own color, speaks your own language. Now you come into a new country where, you know, nobody speaks your language. You know, school is totally different. Nobody is your color. Nobody is your peer. Nobody speaks your language. Now you're the only person in school that is different, you know, and then you go to school and you don't, they don't even play or offer your, the sport that you grew up, which was football, real football. They offer American football, but not, you know, world football, you know, and now you're devastated, you know, getting called names and getting, you know, bullied and, and, and beat up. And whatever you want to, you know, whatever you, you, you could imagine I went through, you know, in school. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I personally have never gone through it and, and can't imagine, but I have to imagine that that was you know, really challenging for you to go through. And, you know, like you said, a lot of this has, has shaped you into who you become today. And I know you had an experience in seventh grade trying out for the basketball team that while I'm sure you didn't realize it at the time. Really helped shape your career. So yeah, that was a, that was that that was the most devastating thing that happened to me. At, you know, one of one of the most devastating things that ended up being the biggest blessing. And for people who are listening, for your audience who's listening, every every setback, every every devastation was the best thing that happened to me. And it will be the best thing to happen to you as long as you keep moving forward. As long as you don't let that devastation set you back. You can't let a setback set you back. A setback is a God's way to stage for a huge comeback and you have to capitalize on it, you know? And so I went, I tried out for the basketball team in seventh grade and there was like 21 people that, you know, 21, 22 people that tried out. Everybody made the team except me. Everyone. Oh, really? I didn't Everyone. know. You know, and um, I was so devastated. I got made fun of, ridiculed, you know, called names. I, you know, I went home. Cried to my mom, hey mom, I'm gonna go back to my old country. This country sucks. I'm getting beat up. I'm getting bullied. 
Nobody likes me. I don't, I don't know these kind of sports. You know, my mom said, we were refugees. We can't go back. Go to the boys club, get better and try out next year. And when I did, you know, I started going to the boys club to try and better get a basketball. I, uh, I saw these people who were lifting weights. And back then, like the Sylvester Stallone Rocky movies were big and Arnold movies were big. And I was like, you know what? I want to look like them. I started lifting weights. You know, long story short, fell in love with weight training. Not only what it did for me on the outside, because I started getting stronger and getting a little muscle tone, but also what it did for my self-esteem, my self-worth, and how I carried, I carried myself. And right there and then, I knew that this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to work out. I want to learn everything there was to know about anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, nutrition, and how to be able to get stronger, leaner, faster, and just live a better life. So turning your pain of being the only person cut on your basketball team, getting made fun of, ridiculed, and feeling that too, you know, obviously as you, all our listeners here heard in the beginning, like you are someone who was a bodybuilding champion. So, you know, take me through like, so now you've begun weightlifting, like you're into high school now, like what are things like to, like for you at that point? You know, um, it, it's, you know, um, you know, I started getting attention. I started getting feeling better about myself, you know, in high school. You know, now, now, you know, people are accepting me. You know, now I'm one of them. You know, and I knew that that's what I want to do the rest of my life. You know, my mom said, Sam, become a doctor. This is what I have my wishes for you. I went to Penn State and I studied pre-medicine nutrition while I was bodybuilding, while I was, you know, working as a personal trainer. Went to Los Angeles College of Chiropractic, got my doctorate degree, gave it to my mom so she could be happy. And I started my first gym. That's basically what happened. That's what happened. And I, and I know along the way, you know, you said that you like wanted to do something that involved like fitness, nutrition, training, anatomy. And you said your mom gave you like three options that you could be at that point. And doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah. Yeah, doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> and she walked away and said, I prefer a doctor. She prefers a doctor. So you decided, okay, of those choices, chiropractic is best for me. Yeah, because chiropractic had to do with, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do surgery. I don't want to drill people's teeth. That's not what I'm all about. I'm all about muscles, bones, you know, nutrition and, you know, human, you know, anatomy, physiology and all that. And so the only doctor program was that chiropractic at that time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to a school to learn about the things that I love. And so I went to, the, I went to LACC, got my, got my degree in respiratory history. All right. So you got your degree, you got your doctorate in chiropractic, but then as soon as you got out of school, you ended up not pursuing chiropractic. It was never, it was never my goal. It was my goal to make my mom happy, get the degree for her. My goal was to open up my own gym and help people transform their life and transform their bodies the way I transformed mine. And that was the goal. So I started my first location in um, uh, February 15th of 2000. And I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about sales or business or anything like that. I just know I just knew how to get people in shape. So I started doing that by, by, and by virtue of just, you know, you know, knowing how to get people in shape and hard work, working 70, 80 hours a week for five years. I had a, you know, somewhat a successful business. I was making 10, 15, 20 grand a month, you know, and, um, and I was very happy with that, you know, at that time. I didn't mind working 70 hours a week to make 10, 15, 20 grand a month. You know, um, you know, I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids, you know, but once I started getting more serious about, you know, you know, maybe I need to get married either. 
maybe I need to, you know, start a family. And that's when I started getting mentorship. That's when I started learning more about, you know, uh, marketing sales business to be able to do better in business. And I started doing that. I started doing a lot better, you know, starting in 2005 when I started getting mentorship, you know, up until 2008 when everything was good to the market crash. When the economy hit, when the crisis hit, all my businesses, man, you know, all my clients were canceling. My business was, was down a lot. I, mean, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't prepared. Nobody ever taught me about ups and downs of the economy in college. Nobody, you know, you know, nobody in my family knew about that. So I was basically, you know, caught, you know, caught off guard. And um, so that, so that's, so that's, that's what happened. And um, I didn't know, um, you know, I didn't know what to do. So at that time, um, at that time, uh, you know, I, I, I did what I, I can only do, just go, go to work, you know, and, and it was the worst time because, you know, my, my first wife was pregnant with my first child. You know, I have nothing. I'm behind on, um, I'm behind on the house note. You know, I have minus $314 in our bank account and I don't know what to do at this time, literally. You know, went to work and trying to, you know, every day come home defeated, you know, you know, every day, you know, creditors calling me, you know, mortgage people calling me, don't know what to do, you know, and that, that continued for a few years up until like 2014 when I started getting things back on track. I started doing a little bit better, but because I've neglected, you know, home, I was always at work, you know, I got started with divorce papers mm. you know, and, you know, so so, um, and, and that was another devastating thing. So listen to this, because the economy went down and because everything, you know, went, went to crap, we started the camp boot camp out of devastation. If, if the economy was good, we would have never started the camp boot camp. I would have stick to one-on-one -on -one personal training. I would never start a boot camp. Mm. If I never started boot camp, I would have never had the camp, you know, franchise right now over 120 locations worldwide. So. So again, another devastation turned into the blessing. Then I got divorced and I got several divorce papers. I was really devastated because my family was everything. My, my kids were everything, Yeah, you know, and I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know what, what I should do. Now I'm 40 years old, which was six years ago. You know, I, I barely got done from being broke. Now I lost my family. I'm, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to the club and drink and, you know, do what I did in my 20s? I'm like, no, all I'm going to do is work and go to, go to the gym. That's all I'm going to do. So because I had nothing better to do, all I did was work and then go to the gym. Work, go to the gym, be with the kids. Go work, be with the gym, be with the kids. I had nothing to do. I worked 24-7 around the clock. And then that's how I was able to scale the camp, make the camp what it is today. And, and we went from nearly having six or eight locations to over 120 locations now because the fact that I got divorced, I had nothing better to do than work. <laughs> so in that, in that story, you know, a few things to pick apart here. So like you said, you, you started out fresh out of chiropractic school as a personal trainer. You built that business up to a multiple six figure business. Then the economy hits, you lose everything you have, and then you have to start from the beginning. And again, perfect example here. You're saying that all these negative things, these seemingly negative things that a lot of people would take and say like, well, I'm not destined to do this. I, and, and what we're going through right now in the economy too, and a lot of gyms uh, are closing and a lot of people are panicking. And, and for you, like you said, that helped fuel a new idea 
or a new concept that helped you become successful? Well, when, you're, when you are comfortable, how can you come up with new ideas? You're comfortable. When you're hungry, when you're desperate, is when you get creative. Mm. You understand? Yeah. So the key is, how can you be comfortable and also be hungry? Mm. You know I mean, that's the key. If you, can, if you can make sure you're always staying hungry, you always have that drive to be creative. And the problem is that most people, you know, they're comfortable, they're comfortable. They get lackadaisical. You know, they, 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 they rest on their laurels. They really don't want to push themselves. You know, that's the problem that happens with most people. So, you know, you know, it happens with the best of the best champions. You know, they, you know, they, they're hungry. They want to, they want to become a champion. And then when they become champion, they're like, oh, I'm a champion. So I'm going to rest a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm cool. They started smoking their own exhaust, thinking that, you know, they're, they're that good. Maybe they don't need to train as hard. Maybe they don't need to do what they're supposed to do, uh, what they did to become a champion. And then once they stop doing what they, what they did to become a champion, they guess what? Somebody comes in and knocks them off their throat. Mm. I mean, and, and, and life is the same thing. It's the same exact principle. You got to stay hungry. You got to stay humble. You got to stay hungry. And you got to always, 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 you know, either act like you don't have anything, act like, you know, there's an urgency. Because if you don't act like that, then your life will go by and nothing happens. And that's what I was asked too. Is like, how do how does someone, is that something that you just have to experience something to get? Or is that something that you can create yourself, like that hunger and drive? You know, the hunger and drive should come from progression. It's not a money thing. So if it's a money thing, let's say you want to become a millionaire and you get to become a millionaire. You're like, wait a second, I'm a millionaire, so I can rest. Well, oh, you know, that, you know, most successful people that you talk to, you know, that are multi, multi-millionaires, maybe even billionaires, then you're like, man, this guy doesn't need to work anymore. What is he doing working? What is he doing? I used to ask the same question. I used to ask the same question when I, when I didn't have anything. I'm like, dude, you got, you're so rich. Why don't you just chill? And then when I got here, I was like, wait a second. I'm not happy chilling at home. I'm not happy just not doing anything. I'm not happy sitting in front of idiot, idiot tube and just you know, go through the channels. I'm not happy with that. I'm happy with progression. I'm happy to, to, to do things. I'm happy to, to make progress in life. Whether it's progress with God, whether it's family, whether it's fitness, whether it's finance, whether it's progress with you know, relationships, I need to improve in these areas. And until you, you know, fall in love with the progression of bettering yourself and becoming the best version that you can be, becoming the best version that God wanted you to be, then you're going to be lackadaisical. Because sooner or later, you're going to get the Lamborghini that you wanted. Sooner or later, you're going to get the house that you wanted. Sooner or later, you're going to get the amount of money that you want in the bank. Then what's next after that? Mm. that that's so true. And that, that's a good point. I know that's something that you... I think I've heard you even say on like other podcasts, like you have a lot of success. Like a lot of people look at you and say like, Sam, you've got the house, the cars, the money, everything else. And I heard you say like, you still get up at like three in the morning. Every day. I did it today. I did it today. Every single day. Every single day. I mean, I mean, look, man, life is too short for you to sleep. You know, you know, I understand, you know, I like to get enough sleep so I can function the next day. I don't need eight, 10 hours. I don't need all that. I'm, I need enough for me to function. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's what I'm, life is too, too precious for you to sleep your life away. Life is too precious for you to blink. Life is too precious to waste. You know, tomorrow is not guaranteed to you, me, or anyone in this entire world. 
You know what I mean? So why would you want to waste it? You know, you know, you want to make sure, you know, I forgot I saw something the other day, like, you know, you sleep like 20 out 20 years of your life. You know, you commute 10 years or 15 years of your life. You, you know, you know, if you add up all the hours, you know what I mean? In all these things, you really, you know, are alive for you to do something about eight years of your entire life. Mm. Why would you want to waste any second or every minute of it? Why would you want to waste it on BS? Why would you, you not want to progress? Yeah, that's true right there. We only have a limited amount of time on this earth, so why not make the most of it? Maybe a lot limited than you know, because you don't know. That's if you live biologically to the age that you want to be. That doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, that, that doesn't include getting hit by a bus tomorrow. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I mean, this year, it, it, this year, it's been eye-opening. You know, with Kobe Bryant passing away, you know, you know, unexpectedly with the coronavirus, you know, you know, people passing away. You know, anything can happen at any time. So live your life to the fullest. Enjoy your life, but more importantly, go after your dreams. Go after everything you want in life. Go after becoming the best version of yourself. You don't want to die and put, you know, have any stones and turn. Like, look, man, I did everything I could. I became the best I could. I didn't waste any of my time. And I'm happy. I can go tomorrow and I'm happy because I've, I've, I've done everything that I could possibly do. Amen right there. And, and clearly you live it every single day and, and you practice what you preach. And I know we have a, a limited amount of time left here and then uh, – we have to get going here. So I want to ask a few kind of like final round questions for you um, to give our listeners a little bit more insight into you, Sam. So you're huge on routines. Like we already talked about, like you wake up at like not six, five, four, you wake up at three in the morning every single day. So take me through like, what is your morning routine and what are some of your daily and weekly rituals you practice? So I get up at three o'clock every morning, you know, weekends uh, too? no, no, three, no weekends. I get up at six. Okay, six is sleeping. So I have, I have a small kid, you know, I'm going to be able to wake up with them twice a week and, and be able to be with them. Sure. So I wake up at three o'clock, Monday through Friday, I get up at three o'clock in the morning, I come downstairs, I, I get clothes, I come downstairs. Now, first of all, my routine starts the, day, the night before. Okay. You can't start your routine that day. So your routine starts the night before. The night before, I print out my schedule. I know exactly what I got going on the next day. I don't have any white spaces on my calendar. Every space that I'm up from the morning I wake up to the morning I, the time I go to sleep is accounted for. There's no white spots. White spots are the devil. If you have more time in your hand, you know, every time I had too much time on your hand, too much idle time, I didn't stuff that I wasn't supposed to. You know, and, 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 and so I, I don't put anything, you know, any idle time. All, every single, every single minute on my waking day is either be with the family, provide for the family, or stay healthy so I can do one and two. Mm. Those, are, those are the three things I concentrate on. And every single minute of my day is, a, is, is for that. So I print out my thing before. I, I put out the clothes the night before because I don't want to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning wondering what I'm wearing right. know, and, and wake everybody up. So, you know, uh, I get up in the morning, you know, put my clothes on, come downstairs, you know, read my goals. And then I head to the gym at 4 o'clock. By the time I get to the gym, it's 4 o'clock. 4 to about 5.30, I work out. You know, I come home, take a shower. You know, have, have breakfast. I, I head to office at seven o'clock. You know, I, I, I like to do office work. I make myself to go do office work. I don't have to, I can, I can work from anywhere, but I make myself go to the office from seven to three, seven to four. And after, after four o'clock, my phone is off and I'm 100% with the family. Mm. 
everything is so scheduled and routine and in today's day and age like that is that's a real challenge for a lot of people i mean i'll admit i fall victim to it sometimes too like you know there's so many distractions out there that take away from our focus how are you able to eliminate those distractions and really focus well i mean look we know that the the shortest way from point a to point b is is a straight line and if distraction is a zigzag why would you want a zigzag so you have to have discipline. You have to be, have, be able to delay gratification. And if there's any distraction that is worthy of being a distraction, then you have to assign a time and a place to it. Mm. You know what I mean? Say, for example, you know, you, have a, you love cars. And you want to research cars. Okay? Mm-hmm. See, you can avoid distractions by making sure, well, you know, what, what your top priorities are in life. Mine is, like I told you, mine is family time, work, so I can provide for the family, and be healthy. So I'm either in the gym or I work or with my family. Those are my top priorities, right? So if I'm at work and something is distracting from, from me from work, means that I gotta stay later for work, which means I'm gonna take time from, from my family. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. So I don't give in to distractions. I don't give in to distractions. I'm 100% focused because my time needs to be you know, for me to be successful, for me to be, be able to live my life the way I want to live my life, there's three things that needs to happen. Family time, work time, and, uh, you know, gym time. And, you know, I don't want, I don't have anybody, to, you know, if anybody wants to meet with me, and it has to be, it, 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 either, it has to make sense. Is it going to provide for my family? Is it going to give me more time for the family? Is it going to give me healthy? If it's not that, I don't really need to meet with you. Simple as that, but I mean, that sound, it sounds very simple in principle, very but simple. you're right. It's very simple. It's very simple. If, some, if, you know, if, if, if you have these goals and somebody calls you up and says, Sam, why don't you come and let us, let's meet me at this bar and we're going to watch some football you know, and all that. Well, wait a second. No, I don't want to do that because it doesn't give me more money for my family. It doesn't give me more time for my family. It doesn't give me healthier. Mm. If I want to watch football, I watch football, but I watch it with my family. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I would do. You know what I mean? So you got to pick your battles. You only have a very limited resource of the most precious thing that we have, which is time. Be careful how you allocate it. You have to be disciplined. You know, most people are more disciplined with their money than they are with their time. Mm. But, But everyone agrees that time is more precious than money. Everyone says that, but nobody practices that. You nobody's walking away. Nobody's walking around throwing money away. Nobody's doing that. But we're walking around throwing time away by distractions. Right. So I don't understand that. I don't, you know, everybody, every, everybody that I know contradicts themselves. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, time is more important than money. Time is more precious than money. But they're wasting time. But they're not wasting money. So mm. what is it? That is a very good way to phrase it. Um, and I also know you're a huge fan of self-education. So... What do you do to stay sharp? Like do you do books, podcasts, and you have a podcast of your own, obviously. Like what do you do to learn? You know, I do the podcast because I want to learn. I want to get coached. To me, it's a, to me, it's a free coaching session. So I'll take the time, you know, and I record it. And to me, I really do the podcast, the one percent podcast really for me. And everybody else is just a listener. You know, I'm not doing it to appease everybody. It's really for me. I ask the questions. I want, I mean, sometimes I go on tangents that has nothing to do with entrepreneurship because I want to get to know this guy more or, you know, what, you know, you know, deep, deep down and learn from him, you know? And so I do that for me. So, so that's how I learn, you know, um, you know, and I'm, you know, again, I'm a big proponent on time. When I work out, I listen to audiobooks. Uh-huh. You know? I mean, 
you work, you know, I work out an hour, hour and a half a day. And if you, if you're working out an hour a day, why are you going to play the same stupid playlist that you already, you already listened to 54,000 times? How many times are you going to hear Dr. Dre or Tupac or Drake or Weekend or whatever? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love listening to music when it's time to listen to music. But mm-hmm. right? if I'm going to be an hour a day, why not kill two birds with one stone? Why not educate myself and learn from it? You know, I love my reading time. I sign an hour a day to my reading time. You know, and, and I just come to this office. I said, and, and to me, it's like therapy. Some people like massage and some people like spa. I like reading. That to me is distress time. You know, and, and it's so important for you know, I, you got to enjoy it. You know, you can't, oh, just, oh, I read, just read. No, 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 no. You have to enjoy it. I totally enjoy it. I'd rather read an hour than get a massage for an hour. Mm. And, and I, you can, for those who aren't watching the video, he has probably hundreds of books behind him in the video right now. So I know 3, that. 3,000 to be exact. Close How many? 3,000. 3,000 3, books. Oh my gosh. That is incredible. Uh, speaks volumes to the level of self-education that you, that you do. Um, so I want to ask two more questions to you, Sam. Uh, first one is where can people find out more about you? you know, just Google my name, Sam Bakhtiar, S-A-M-B-A-K-H-T-I-A-R. I'm very active on Instagram. All my handles are the same. Also, you can text me directly. You know, my number is 909-200-4015. I said, you know, that people can text me directly on that line and I'd be more than happy to connect to anyone uh, more personally. Awesome. Super, super giving and, and helpful. And last question, Sam, is when it's all said and done, you know, you're at the end of your life. You've talked about this somewhat today, like your family's by you, like everyone's by you. How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? I want to remember about a guy who, who just, is, is constant and never improving. A guy who wants to bring the best out in everyone. A guy who is no holes barred. He's not going to bullshit you. He's not going to tell you what you want to hear because he has your best interest at heart. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I don't always make friends, you know, because I want, I want the best for them. If, if you're in my circle, you know, sometimes we want to have some, you know, some talks that is, is uncomfortable. But it's my obligation and my duty, if I care about you, if you're in my inner circle, for me to push you to be your absolute best. Love it, Sam. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and pleasure. And I truly appreciate your time today. Absolutely, Sam.